With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. the holiday season and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks in sneaks working off those holiday indulgences using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run remember it's not how far it's not how fast it's how frequent Get out there, be consistent. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our sponsors this week. eHarmony, Brooklinen, Eero, and Squarespace. Squarespace. My kid's sleeping, so I had to go quiet this time. DLC is... A show all about gaming in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who I'm always thankful for, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello again, Jeff Kanata. We hung out irl today and uh we went and picked some vegetables at this little farm we're at and we grilled them up or sauteed them up and had a stir fry with them they're in my belly right now and they were delicious you made it seem like you and i picked vegetables and then you and i fried them up in a stir fry i wish that did not happen just like it hasn't happened that you've actually ever invited me over to play any of these exit games that you talk about on each like we should play and i always say yes and then you never invite me and i feel awkward saying like should i invite myself or not that's because you're busy sauteing up, sauteing up vegetables and stuff. <laughs> I'm what escaping. Am I supposed to do? I'm escaping uh, my veg- my kitchen. I'll talk about that later. Actually, I am doing some kitchen battling that I will talk about later. Oh, exciting! A little tease with the the thing that makes people stick around: kitchen battling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have an awesome show. We just came off of Thanksgiving week. I am thankful for you guys listening. I'm thankful for Christian to be here, and I am even more thankful for the awesome guest that we have this week to share the show with. You know, the DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh, I'm so excited because DLC stands for donning a left eye cover because if you've been to his twitter you've seen you've seen him don the uh, eye patch with his nick fury cosplay but you know him as the host and producer of screenplay au and previously good game australia's own nick richardson is joining us hey nick Oh, that felt so sweet. Thank you very much. Although I am, I am a little less thankful that I wasn't invited to the the romantic bromance mushroom cookout party. And so, well, 
the the uh, we would do the invitation, but it, you know you're in Australia, so it would it would have to time travel somehow to get it to you because you're in tomorrow. I'm I'm not clear on how it all works, but those mushrooms aren't going to keep for that. No way. But I'm very excited <laughs> for being here. Thank you very much for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you, man. We're we're excited to have you. It's it's an interesting week. We're kind of moving into that place of of not tons of new releases, although there's a lot of new releases coming out next week. Um, but we're moving into that, like, let's start thinking about best games of the year and let's use our time off and our vacation time to power through all these 2017 winners. So we've got lots to talk about and we have an awesome amount of news. So let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by visiting our subreddit. That's over at 5x5dlc.reddit.com, where cool folks hang out, talk about the show, talk about video games, talk about whatever, man. It's cool. Nick, you are our guest, so you get first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your Story of the Week? I mean, I can't go past the fact that the world's governments are making some sort of United Nations Security Council against loot boxes. That just seems like this has gotten to a place that none of us thought it would go. Uh, and it's getting pretty crazy. And Australia is a part of that as well. Yeah, yeah. The seemingly never-ending Star Wars saga. Uh, <laughs> Disney own- gets Star Wars and there's there's a, a saga, a new episode every week. It Did turns you know out. this is what the new trilogy is going to be about? It's the- yeah, this is Ryan Johnson's trilogy of loot boxes. <laughs> uh, every week. This is the, as you said on your show, Nick, I saw you guys say this is the story that keeps on giving. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, never-ending news. And it turns out, as you said, now – Governments are getting into the mix and um, loot boxes have gotten into the realm of do we need to regulate them? Is this gambling? And we can run down all the different places uh, here in the States. Uh, Hawaii, the government of Hawaii is uh, discussing this. Uh, They straight up called them predatory practices. Uh, The UK Gambling Commission is now checking out loot boxes. They have concerns. Um, I think it's what Hungary, the government of Hungary is, it's a lot of places all around the world. And this is kind of snowballing as a result, I think of the mainstream media attention that star Wars battlefront two garnered. Um, and it's some interesting, there's some interesting takes on this. Uh, what is your take, Nick? How do you feel about loot boxes in general? And how do you feel about governments maybe regulating them? Uh, yeah, so it's complicated, right? Like, I, I despise loot boxes with pretty much every fiber of my being. Uh, that I, I think that the idea that I'm handing over money for a chance to get something, uh, that, that I actually want, I go, I want to buy this, you know, really cool hat for this character and and instead i get a bunch of really crap hats uh i think that that's that's really bad uh but i think that a government level coming in because here in australia we we've had issues with our government and video games for years uh and and particularly with a rating system that we would get games banned here and you couldn't buy them because they were dealing with um 
uh, a lot of the time, it, violence wasn't really the thing that we hate here because we have a terrible history of violence in our country. It, we've got it's drugs and and uh, sexual references of things that we get really touchy about. And so we've had government saying you're not allowed to buy these games and stuff. And now we've got this R18 plus rating, and we're fine. Pretty much everything gets sold. But whenever a government gets into a situation and starts going, okay, you're allowed to buy this, you're not allowed to buy this, you can look at this, you can't use this, it's it's a touchy subject. I think the interesting thing that's coming up is it's it's forcing uh, game developers to go, okay, or and publishers as well to go, well, do we want to risk putting something in here that may have a ruling in three years' time that it's, it's not allowed to go in this game? And while I don't think ultimately loot boxes will be banned from a government level in video games i think that we may have we may start to see the beginning of the end uh, for this as a system which while i'm glad that that's going away i also recognize that games are just so crazy expensive to make and our expectations are so huge and our appetite is so enormous for these games that they need to get funded somehow uh and i think i think what it really shows is that you know we're asking for games that are more expensive uh and that are checks that can't be written by companies but then we get furious when we don't get them so i'm, I'm putting a little of the blame back on us but most of it of course is on disgusting ea yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a big, big sprawling topic, isn't it? Uh, because uh, you kind of get into the cost of games and the cost of, uh, you know, the fact that games, uh, their sticker price really hasn't raised to match inflation over the years. And a lot of these peripheral uh, things that really do have a lot to do with what we're talking about here. But uh, I wanted to highlight some of the things because the, the France is also taking a look at this now. And a French senator by the name of Jérôme Drain, he pronounced very poorly, um, wrote a letter uh, talking about how they are looking at this uh, situation. And unlike most of these government officials, this guy actually seems to understand video games, or at least his letter <laughs> seems pretty informed. Either he or somebody on his staff kind of gets it. Uh, he starts off kind of complimenting video games and talking about how they have been an up- uplifting, uh, have had an uplifting effect on the economy and, and are a positive force in the world. And then he says, um, while I do not think it is necessary at this stage to put in place specific legislation, I wonder about the desirability of providing customer protection in this area. The use of loot boxes conferring cosmetic additions to games seems well accepted by the public. The development of so-called pay-to-win practices is more contentious, as shown by the recent controversy over Star Wars Battlefront 2. Quite aside from the acceptance of the practice, some observers point to a convergence of the video game world and practices specific to gambling. He says, transparency is not common with regard to statistics governing loot boxes, even though good practices sometimes exist. China has decided in favor of a transparency of win ratios. He goes on from there. I think that's a really interesting idea in, in the sense of not legislating out loot boxes or loot in general in video games legislating in a it's kind of like the um the warning label on the cigarettes right we're not outlawing cigarettes but you have to make the warning label gigantic on the box that says this stuff's gonna kill you and loot boxes could kill you and you just need to be aware of that (laughs) right it will cause cancer uh no the idea that saying hey you can buy this loot box but you have a four percent chance of getting the cool hat you know, like that, that might be a really interesting uh, way the government could actually be useful here. Is that something that you would stand behind, Nick? 
Potentially. I mean, I, I I just feel like that all the time, right? Like anytime I buy a loot box, I'm like, I get a 4% chance of getting that hat. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a little more, uh, you know, in day-to-day invested in in this sort of news, so so I know that sort of stuff. I think that's probably a good step. Uh, the, the the interesting thing as well is that different places uh, with their rulings, like w- within Australia, we've got three states at the moment that are looking at this, and they all have different uh, levels of uh considering whether or not this is gambling so even if one uh, i don't know what happens if one state goes oh yeah we want to have uh that show that it's got a four percent chance to to um uh, to give you the cool thing that you want but another state like queensland uh uh, which is uh, a state down here has come out and said you know we do not believe that these are this is gambling and so therefore we cannot regulate in this so i don't know what happens there where different parts of the same country uh have all these different rulings and then what happens when it's a game made in america that is being marketed here is that you know does that fall under the same ruling uh it's insanely complicated it would just be easier to sell me that hat guys just sell me the hat and all this goes away well, you know, you bring up a great point because games already localization is already a huge thing and you've already seen different territories have different uh regulations and and sometimes games are changed a great deal from territory to territory, from country to country because you know, games are a global product and sometimes you see games uh, scenes removed or blood turned to sweat or whatever it is because mm. they want to sell them in a certain territory so i think this would make localization certainly more expensive and more problematic well you look at Christian- you look at china had how china had that thing with overwatch with their loot boxes where they went okay well we can't sell loot boxes here so what we're going to sell you is credits and you get a small amount of credits and then you get 60 you know loot boxes as a bonus there and so that's you know a, a way of getting around it uh, i don't know how that stands up you know against against all governments uh, across right. the world but yeah it's a sticky wicket uh christian i know that you have been outspoken on what you deem to be predatory practices. And I wonder how you feel about the government getting involved and if you think this is a potentially positive step. Yeah, so to back up a little bit, a few points uh, in the Twitch chat here, Anna Shara brings up an interesting point saying that in EA's call to their investors, they said the disabling of microtransactions in Battlefront 2 would have, quote, no substantial effects on their earnings. Uh, and well, that's so, what they want to tell investors. Yeah, I'm sure. But you have a... It's not a fiduciary duty, I don't believe, but you have a you have people. Yes, there's flubbing and mincing, but you have to be honest in reporting to your investors. Um, so when they're saying the difference there is substantial effect. So like, yeah, what's a million dollars? Is that a substantial effect to EA's under you know bottom line or whatever? I don't know, but they're out there saying that, which is at least a mixed message going against this idea of we need this money to recoup the costs if they're saying, oh, it's okay, we're okay. But also this this term, as I'm pulling it up and looking up, trying to find actual uh, transcript of this call, uh, it could also mean we're putting we're putting it back in. <laughs> like right. turning yeah. it off for two weeks yeah. around Christmas won't have a substantial effect. Like don't, don't worry. Um, but in terms of government regulation, <laughs> I, I am going to come out on the side of saying it's not always a bad thing. And in this topic, People are always like, oh, we don't want the government getting involved in our games. If done, the problem is we don't want the the bad government to do it poorly. And there are air quotes around all of that, right? Because in, in, in broad 
broad language, government regulation is our in the United States, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment. <laughs> like that, that's the government regulating what you can and can't do. That's them saying things you can do, but that's very much government regulation that we love. And then people in our country that hate some regulations. Uh, are very much in favor of the government regulating um, abortion issues. And other people say that the government should stay out of that. Other people say you should regulate cigarettes way more. Other people say you shouldn't. Marijuana is a big issue in our country right now. And so the issue I don't think is government, air quote, regulation. It's this idea that it would come down in a way that we as gamers don't agree with. I don't know if that's the case. Government regulates gambling. And they do an okay job with it to some, right? Like, well, it depends on your position. I mean, gambling. Yeah. Like I feel like they're probably not regulating gambling enough. They should say that it shouldn't happen most of the time. Like, you know, just get rid of casinos and that sort of thing. And I, I do take your point that, that the, um, that it is about the type of regulation that you're getting. But I think that it's that slippery slope situation, right, where you go, we want you to fix the things we don't like as long as you don't start looking at all the other things that we do like that you may have a problem with because we kind of want games to be like the worst kept secret. Don't look too closely at what we're playing, but at the same time, uh, make sure that I don't get screwed. Well, and that's... Let's 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 take this a different direction. Instead of sort of making this a referendum on government regulation as a whole, let's ask this question instead. And I'll ask it of you, Christian. Do you think this is a problem that needs to be addressed? Do you think that this is so um, detrimental to the experience of the average consumer that something should be done? Yes, but I feel like that something is maybe already happening. That something can be us talking about it for three three weeks in a row on this show for, you know, that the internet outrage, the Reddit posts uh, talking about it and, and, you know, the, the people that dug into the game and found the data on what you would require to unlock these characters and, and stuff like that. I mean, I think sometimes it can happen grassroots organically or things like the ESA or, you know, industry groups can come in and self-regulate. But I, I do think it is a big enough thing that requires some form of course correction because if we want games to be accepted as this you know big mainstream thing or whatever, if there are these things that appear to be predatory towards children, that is going to uh, you know cut video games off at the knees the way that movies struggled with getting a PG-13 rating. And, you know, for a long time, there's this reaction of like, this is not good for our youth. (laughs) And we are now, now it is a stain. It is a blight. It is pornography. It is uh, uh, an NC-17 movie or something like that, that can't be distributed, sold and talked about and accepted as mainstream art. And I, I think that if this, trend continues and it airs into this predatory practice that i think battlefront 2 was was in at some point during its pre-release release release (laughs) window um yeah i think it is a big issue that that needs to be course corrected what about you nick how do you come down on this this basic point of is this a problem that needs to be addressed Yeah, I think 100%. I think it totally is a problem that needs to be addressed. The the problem that I think we face is that we don't have a closed environment for this. We don't have a test phase that is meaningful, where we can figure out what system works best, that isn't live, that isn't affecting people right now their wallets, their opinions and everything, that this this is the kind of thing where you go, maybe in three years' time, the loot box drama that we go through now leads to a very good payment model that is something that 
everyone isn't 100% happy with, but no one really hates, that continues getting these games made and continues letting us play it. Unfortunately, to get there, we need to go through these ups and downs in a very live public way. And when it starts affecting people uh, on a day-to-day basis, then that's what, I think that's where a lot of that anger is coming from, where you go, you're kind of using us as test guinea pig things uh, to figure out what the best payment model for your thing is and of course you're going to start at the worst version for us and then work your way back down uh it would be great if we could all just agree that let's take the next five years nothing means anything try whatever you want and at the end of this though we're going to come out with a payment model for free to play that works 100 percent, and we can like and then that's the thing because there's no there's no testing phase that we can go through uh and particularly if the government starts coming in then it's like they may clamp down on something that had the nugget of a good idea that would work in two years' time. So, Yeah, I've sort of evolved my thinking on this uh, because there's been so much thinking in the last few weeks. Uh, I, I think what's happening here is this weird growing pain that's getting the culture at large to wrap their heads around the fact that digital objects are objects, that digital things that don't have a physical property to them uh, are desirable and have value. And that has been a whole thing that's happened in our culture over the last 30 years that has been slow and awkward and in fits and starts and led to a lot of people making a lot of money and a lot of people losing a lot of money. I mean, we're talking like Napster and music and we're talking IP law and, and, uh, you know, patent trolls. And there's a lot of stuff that doesn't fall directly into this, but I think it all is part of the same cultural paradigm shift. And what I ultimately believe I, you know, I cannot make a website that says, send me $5 and you might get a toaster. I will send one person a toaster, send me $5 and One of you will get a toaster. I can't, that's against the law. I can't do that. I don't know if it is. It is. But how do you explain like some of the things that the Cards Against Humanities guys have done where it's like, we're going to send you something. Some people are going to get good things. Some people are going to get literal poop in a bag. Well, that I think is, I think buying like, uh, you know, even Loot Crate, the company where you like, you pay $5 and you get a mystery box. That's a different kind of thing. I'm talking about some people get something, some people get nothing. Hmm. You know, I'm I'm very I'm 90% sure that's illegal. Because my okay. friend wanted to make a website where that did that and he looked into it and he went, "Oh, that's illegal. I can't make that." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was think that friend you, Jeff? Was this your great business his, idea? His name is name is Bluff Banata and I I stand by the fact that he's a terrible person. No, it wasn't me. Um but I think what's going to happen here is we are going to see a, a, a phasing out of of loot boxes as as mystery, and you will move back into just straight microtransactions. Of if you want the funky hat, you buy the funky hat. The funky hat is going to be more expensive than the lame hat, but it'll be direct buy to funky hat because I think we're going to it, we're going to get to the idea that this is not any different than physical real world goods that these these digital objects, especially as we move into a world that has augmented reality and all these, this future tech where digital stuff is going to be even more prominent and important. I think this is just those baby steps along that trajectory uh, that are going to 
eventually lead to, yes, some legislation around this where just in the same way you can't bilk people out of, you know, money playing three card Monty on the street, you can't say, you know, follow the bouncing ball digitally either. So, but there's, but there is like value and enjoyment to the loot, the randomization thing. Like, I know, I agree. I've said that over and over again. I, I do find enjoyment and I think you will still get that because you will still get loot as loot. You just won't be able to buy it with money, with human dollars. So a game will still have a loot box the way, say, Forza Horizon 3 does, where like you level up there, you, you spin a wheel and you get a reward, and that's still fun. But you can't spend yeah. real money to buy extras of those rewards. But then I could spend real money to buy items that would otherwise be doled out in yes. that, but I would be buying that item specifically. Yes, I, I, that's how so I think it's all going to play out. Because, I, I mean, I play Heroes of the Storm, right? I love opening loot boxes. I earn them all the time by leveling up my characters. Do you, by, uh, how, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> do you level up that often, Jeff? I do. I level up all the time. I'm level 760-something right now. Um, but what you're describing is Assassin's Creed Origins. Yeah. I, and that's going to happen. I think that's going to be – I think that's going to be what it is. I, I – I'm just basing that on the idea that this this sort of zeitgeist uh, realization that's happening, everybody's just coming to this conclusion, I think, late. Well, the, I think the mainstream there, is. There could be money, even potentially more money, and, and this is nefarious, but it's like what, you know, kind of what isn't, but also enjoyable in that. So let's say um, I'll just keep using, I'll use Forza Horizon 10 as my example. In Forza Horizon 10, you get to the thing, you level up, you spin the wheel, and then like as the wheel spins, it's like shows you this awesome car and you're like oh i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it i'm gonna get it. but of course you never get it because it's rigged against you and you're actually never gonna get that like one person gets it but like the odds are really you're gonna get like 25 xp or whatever as you get this thing but then in the digital storefront that car's there eight dollars and after after you see that car flip through and you don't get it after 20 in-game loot boxes you just be like i just want that car i i, I want the mustang so camaro it. hybrid that's it's just I, like a commercial to buy the car yeah, so be it. I mean, that's we 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 can't be protected from every. I mean, otherwise the cereal aisle no, wouldn't right. have any color, right? Because that's what attracts little kids' eye, and it's predatory because the kid wants the big shiny At eye level. And no, totally. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. My original thought was it's not as profitable to have you buy the th- just the thing you want, but I think they can find a way to gamify that that makes oh, sure. it profitable. Yeah, for them. because the, in- the interesting thing about this is it it hits on it hits on a bunch of games and a bunch of different ways. One of my favorite games is Hearthstone, and um and you know Hearthstone is essentially a game about loot boxes. It is to get those cards. You are just buying chance packs, but that is also inherently part of the CCG collectible card game right. format. Like if you were to just buy all the good cards, then you would go, well, I collected them all. And uh, yeah. I guess now everyone gets the same cards and whether or not that's good or bad, um, we're still trying to figure that out. But yeah, is, is, it, is it, Magic it, the Gathering gambling? Is are, are baseball card packs gambling? Yeah. Exactly. And and right now, right now, there's a bunch of uh, anger about the FIFA 18 Ultimate Team uh, because they're going, hey, there's people who are spending eight thousand dollars to get the best to be, get the best uh, teams. And I understand that that frustration that you feel like someone just dumped a bunch of money in and they're better than you, but. The problem with that is you've introduced a CCG into a completely different kind of game. If if you just sold Messi and Ronaldo and you know all, all these football players for two bucks each, then everyone spends 
20, like, you know, $22 or whatever, and they all get the perfect team. And then everyone's just got exactly the same thing. And that's, that takes away the fun of the game. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, it's a massive discussion. I don't have the answers, but this is also why I don't work in government. <laughs> <laughs> it is it is a fascinating moment that we're living through here. Uh, but yeah, you know, somebody I saw on Twitter posted a picture of a Toys R Us aisle that had Yu-Gi-Oh and Magic and, you know, all these. And it said, you know, here's the gambling aimed at children right here. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to not have this discussion right now because we talked about this for a long time. But that argument is so wrong. And it, it, that's such an, a fairly simple distinction to make between the differences between that and what's present in Battlefront 2 and the way that you're buying an actual card. I will save it for next week, or maybe I'll do an ALTMM about it. I finally did one. This week's is going to be about why I don't think PUBG should be considered for Game of the Year because I keep hinting about it on this show, but we never spend, I never talk about it. I'll, maybe I'll do the same thing for this, but I will just go on the record here and say that's, that's a dumb argument, Jeff, and I don't think you even really believe it. That, I was just talking about somebody's thing. tweet, my bro. With don't, a bluff, don't jump down my throat. Beth Bonata's tweet again or whatever. <laughs> the fighting what needs is, to stop. Remember the mushroom party, guys. Remember how much fun you had earlier. Oh, it's so fun looking for mushrooms with you. I forgot. Christian, what is your story of the week? Well, so this is something, too, I want to mention, but I don't know how much it's worth talking about right now, um, just because I think it's going to continue to change. But it's Bungie and Destiny 2. And what we know right now uh, is that it seemed like in highly repeatable or grindable um, missions, like the public events or things where you could easily quickly grind for XP. Bungie was not doling out the amount of XP that they said that they were doling out. So I'm conf- I'm conflating to create an example. Like the first time you do a public event, you'd get a hundred XP. The next time, maybe 70. If you did another one right after that, maybe 40. So it's kind of like cutting it down, but it wasn't forwarding that information telling you that it was cutting it down that much so there was this weird thing where you would be kind of trying to grind to level up and not getting the xp that you were quote unquote promised and their argument for that is well they wanted to get people to do the bigger events that give xp and not just be able to go to like an xp farmable type event and just do a repeatable thing really quickly and ramp their way up but of course they also didn't tell people about this system. Like <laughs> it was, I don't know it. if they have an argument. I mean, that's the an argument that we infer from the, the system that's in place is there's clear that there's this system in place, this algorithm that the quicker you earn XP, by the way, this is all after level 20. This doesn't actually kick in until you've hit level cap. But once you hit level cap, this algorithm kicks in that says the faster you earn XP, the less XP you get. So if you're just cranking through those public events or whatever, you can get down to losing 94% of the XP that the game tells you you're supposed to be earning. We infer that that's so people don't do these weird, crazy Well, they've, 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 they have a forum post. They've come out and said... Did you read the forum post? It's yeah, weird. It's, we it's got caught. Strange what it is right but that's that's the problem but um, they're saying they kind of say why they had it like there's a scale they don't really say why they had it actually they 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 say uh you know 
that uh currently xp will scale up when playing longer or fixed duration events like crucible competitive multiplayer matches in the leviathan raid and xp will scale down when playing activities that can be quickly repeatedly chained like grinding public events that's, a, that's a statement that's a statement of what happens that's not a statement of why we did it we can infer why they did it but it's it's weirdly not explaining things and then they say we are not happy with the results and we've heard the same from the community. Like they're like, but we didn't tell so the community weird. about this thing we were it's, doing. It's super weird that it's in the game. We're not, we're not happy with it. We don't know why it's there. It's so it's a strange thing that you guys it's, found it. We found it. We, n- nobody likes it. And again, it's, we're not happy that you found this. And so we're, we're trying to cause correct. Right. Big, I mean, the, the weird, the weird thing about it is I, is I feel like, um, it's one of those situations where, it, because the game has built itself around a progression system uh, where you're earning bright engrams and you're constantly leveling up and that sort of thing, then that's what people want to do. Then you, you have made the game. The game is uh, – Destiny has an amazing gameplay loop. Like the minute-to-minute shooting is so, 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 so good in that game. But the real game is watching these numbers go up and up. And so by building in a progression system, you've made us want to do that over and over again. The and problem BT is dubs will sell you those bright engrams in loot boxes, bro. Yeah, anyway. exactly, exactly. And but the, the the weird thing is that if you look at you look at a game like Pub, you look at a game like Dota, uh, you look at these games where you go, people go and play exactly the same game and it has a different outcome each time, but it's the same game over and over again, and there's really no progression there. There's nothing particularly meaningful. You are happy with the gameplay loop. It's almost like the more you hang off a progression system which it feels like what people want then the more that people want to do it just to continue to progress rather than the moment to moment gameplay because i've put in 800 hours in dota i've put in 500 hours in heroes of the storm and i'm happy to just keep playing those games because i love how much those games play and i don't need to see i'm not chasing a number going up that's just a cosmetic thing that happens on the side but the hours that i put into destiny i feel like i've wasted my time if i haven't had meaningful return on my time beyond just the fun that i've had and i think that because that's they're they're telling you that's why you're doing it right exactly like it's, yeah and in, in this the problem i don't think is necessarily the system they had the problem is that it, they were lying to you about it existing and and that's that's the big issue and i feel like the only reason i don't we don't need to spend tons of time with this is that i feel like the story might be totally different by the time this episode posts because i was reading literally as i was sitting down to set up to do this stream that now with this change that bungie initiated when they turned it off they also increased the amount of things that the amount of time it takes to level up, but they didn't forward that information. So like something else has maybe changed, but all of this is coming from like, you know, Sherlock Reddit, right? <laughs> like, yeah, totally. Uh, and and so all I, of these I problems don't... come from transparency. It's all about companies. Yeah. It feels as though companies are trying to screw you. Like the loot boxes thing, this thing, pretty much every controversy this year has been a company not talking to us uh, with honesty. It's the yeah. old, it's the old, the cover up is worse than the crime, right? Because if they literally just showed you a reduced amount of XP that you were getting, there would not be an issue. I mean, people might, I guess I'll go play crucible for a little while. Right. People might be ticked at that, you know, but it wouldn't be this weird PR nightmare that, that these things happen. (laughs) You know, when it just seems like a stupid thing to lie about, like why why present incorrect information to the player? It's so bizarre to me. And yeah, like Christian said, it's still this evolving thing, but I read the same thing and that their response has been, we've either made it twice as long to level up or we've given you half the amount of XP than you currently get. And you just go, well, this, this did, this did precisely nothing. This did nothing to help. We're also not telling you we did that. Like it's it's, nuts. 
It's so weird. It's so weird. And I really like that game too. I, and like DLC comes out soon, like two weeks. And now they're totally changing what's under the hood and they've been lying to me for the 80 hours I've spent with it or whatever. It just, it sucks. So I, I fear that this will happen Like by the time this post out onto the RSS, this will be, have changed. But I wanted to get the story out there just because like it's a game we've talked about a lot on the show. And I think this, what they've done seems to be very crappy. Yeah, it, it, it's... Uh... It's a weird, weird story. I talked about this on newest, latest, best as well. And I, I just, it's odd. And you, it makes you go, well, what other stuff's going on in other games that I love? You know, like, I don't understand why you don't just present this information to the player. Like, why, why the duplicity? I don't, it's strange. Um, we got uh, several sponsors this week. So before I get to my story of the week, I want to highlight one. If you want things not to be weird, if you want things to be harmonious and wonderful, why not try eHarmony? Hey, if you're trying online dating, it, chances are you have gotten – so he, let me just be upfront about this, guys. I met my wife through online dating. It's I believe true. in it. It's true. Yeah, we met through online dating. I believe in it. I think it works. I think it was one of the coolest things in my life when I was meeting people through online dating that I would never have run into through my normal life. In fact, met a woman that I fell madly deeply in love with and married and birthed my children. Um, it works. It truly works. And eHarmony has uh, a proven track record of working and they make it easy. They make it fast. It, it, they're better than the competition because they don't have these weird it, – it's almost like taking on a second job sometimes with some of these because you have these text messaging chains and email conversations and you're trying to keep up with all these different people that you've reached out on and you're kind of looking at people through a uh, – you know, uh, almost like a billboard service of do you want this or you got to swipe left and swipe right, all that stuff eHarmony is about finding real matches, real, solid, uh, long-lasting relationships. They want to provide love to people. And that's not just – it's not just a hookup. It's not just – you know, it, it really is a site that creates long-lasting relationships. The questions that they ask you uh, – we have a friend of ours actually signed up for uh, eHarmony – uh, she doesn't want me to mention her name because she doesn't want to get a bunch of listeners talking, but uh, it's a friend of ours. And uh, she has really enjoyed the fact that you just you start out with this questionnaire. The questionnaire started out in um, eHarmony's past. is really long. They've narrowed it down. It's scientific. They figured it out. You, it takes you like 15 to 20 minutes to answer all the questions. And you get a better understanding of yourself. And what you're looking for and the, and the algorithm that they use, the system that they've got going helps find people find not just crummy, annoying hookups. They find real people that actually care about the world in the same way you care about the world. So it's, it's great. It's inclusive. It's simple. It's real. <laughs> you're meeting real people. You can add stuff to your, your, profile uh in any ways you want little things big things whatever you want it's about being compatible over the long term and they have helped over a million people find their perfect match so what i want you to do if you're interested at all in this give it a shot eharmony.com will get you started enter the promo code dlc at checkout and you uh you will get a free month a free month of eharmony so there's really nothing to lose uh, you, you sign up for a three month subscription. You get a first month free. 
Stop waiting and start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's only one app that's built to bring you real love. eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and enter promo code DLC at checkout. I bet you will find somebody. I bet bet you will too. If I wasn't in a relationship, I'd be online dating right now. Yeah, man. It works. All right. My story of the week is uh, another along the lines of what we've been talking about. In fact, I was tempted to bring it up in the middle of our first discussion about, um, you know, Star Wars and litigation or excuse me, legislation uh, with regard to loot boxes. And this is a report that came out of Superdata, which is a um, a organization that reports on a lot of stuff, including um, the video game industry. And they say that it's a little hard to find uh, specific data on microtransactions because a lot of companies don't report that. But Superdata has a report that was published in GameIndustry.biz. And they say that in the five years between 2012 and today, the free-to-play industry on PC alone doubled its revenue from $11 billion to $22 billion. That's huge, but it's even more huge when you consider that the non-free-to-play market, the AAA just buy the box, buy $60, only went up uh, what uh, a very small percentage. They went up from $5 billion to $8 billion. Much more modest. So this is huge. And it I think it has direct bearing on our conversations that we've had already this episode about how lucrative it is to have these kinds of systems in your game. Specifically with a free-to-play model where you get users by trying something for free and then you monetize them by having them purchase things in your game. This is an extremely lucrative market, $22 billion this year for games that are free. And that's just League, Dota, and Hearthstone, right? Like, let's not kid ourselves. I'm, I'm probably, sure it's more than that. It probably like. is. I bet, I bet a good 70% is those three games. <laughs> uh, Nick, what is your reaction to this, especially considering the things we've already talked about this episode? Yeah, I, it's crazy, right? Like like I said, I'm not a massive fan of uh, of loot boxes, but I, I realize... A heap of the games that I really love are free-to-play games. And I think that free-to-play, when done well, and when you acknowledge that uh, some free-to-play is is truly free-to-play, like like Dota, for example, is a is a truly free-to-play game. League of Legends, truly free-to-play. Um, but particularly Dota, because everything is available to you. It's just costumes. Uh, that these games can be so rewarding, so much fun. They're games as a service that you can live in forever. Uh, I, I think it's not necessarily the end of the world if we can start reframing some of the big games that come out, some of the games that we really love, to go to some sort of uh, free-to-play model, some sort of more sustainable model. Because if you look at it realistically, free-to-play is designed to keep you playing that game for as long as possible. They want you around. They want to keep adding stuff to that game to keep you playing that game. Well, it's all it's all cost of per acquisition or cost per keeping, whatever those terms are, right? Like whatever is the cheap, it, you can only your player base can only be so big, and after you've brought everybody in, you need to keep them. So it's initially they're balancing that, and then when they get you, it's how much money does it take to keep you, and how much money are you get bringing into their ecosystem? 
Exactly, yeah. And I think that there's been some great examples of, of games that, that can balance that really, really well. And I think that we're going to continue seeing that going forward. Uh, it, it just feels the, the, the downside to a lot of this is that, you know, when you're trying to get people in your game in that way, beyond all the financial investment that some people, you know, f- may feel like they need to make in these games, there's a huge time sink because most free-to-play games are designed to get you in with like a fun experience at the beginning and then uh, keep you by showing you all the potential of game that is here but you you don't get to access it all straight away you keep building up you keep leveling up or whatever and how much time can you balance in your life in the future (laughs) if you're playing all of these games because i want to play all the good really good big free-to-play games like off the top of my head now i'm playing hearthstone here is the storm dota and fortnite and so I go, that's four games, any of which I could play for five hours a night, and it could be the only thing I play. And more of them are coming out. So it's a, it's a time situation as much as it is a money one, I feel. Yeah, it's, it's really intense. The, the idea of more games moving to this model as a result of chasing the money is a double-edged sword, right? Because, yeah, it's awesome that more games would be free up front, but you're right that they would be built around these long tail experiences that aren't conducive to playing multiple games. Like you're saying it's, it it is, it is not a beginning, middle and end type experience. And I enjoy beginning, middle and end type experiences. And I think if those start going away, it will be a real loss for the hobby. Uh, Christian, what's your take? Yeah, I mean, I I feel like we're kind of there already in regard to that, where it's, you know, whatever your MOBA, like these experienced games, they are, they're all consuming. And I was just raised in a different era, an an era of all these, play all the games. And because there weren't tons or, you know, you play everything, you were a gamer and you played all these games. And now we're getting into people that our professional gamers might not consider themselves gamers. They consider themselves PUBG players or, you know, or counter-strike players or whatever Dota players. And, um, it's, uh, I, I guess it's great. (laughs) I guess, I guess it's great. It, it, it doesn't need to be bad for me. It's my personality that makes me go, I wish I could play all these games, but I can't, but that's just on me. I could play them. I just wouldn't play the other games. I don't know. And I think it's, and I'll talk about it later with another game. I've spent just a, just not enough time with but just a little bit of time with us kind of trying this approach too of you know it's not if it does if they do it well it's not a bad thing i don't think you jeff as a heroes player regret your time or money in that game and uh, um nick you talked about your hearthstone addiction and and stuff like that and i don't think you look at that as money poorly spent the same way that i know i maybe go to starbucks or a coffee shop more than i should but i'm not like they're not making me do it you know so I don't know if it's a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. I don't think on the face of it is a bad thing. I think it is it is a trend that is going to continue. And in, in, indeed, uh, Superdata projects that the gap will continue to increase. And uh, they say that uh, PC AAA revenues won't double until 2020, while free-to-play has already doubled in, in five years and will continue to expand. So... They say that free-to-play sales may reach $25 billion in 2022. I mean, crazy. I, I know that Call of Duty tried this. I think it was in Korea or China, wherever they did it with Call of Duty online. But as I played through World War II, 
this year and advanced warfare or whatever the one was called last year. I don't even know what it was called last year. And like, while I enjoy those campaigns, like I feel like that game and that audience would maybe even be better served by a legit free to play approach to it, where it's, these are the maps, this is the map, this is the game. And then they kind of iterate and add on it and add all these cosmetic stuff that kind of keeps you in, in the hooks. And instead of learning or the dev team being responsible for an all new zombies mode every year and all new multiplayer mode every year, like what if there was just, the basketball right like yeah. you you play basketball that's the game you play and making that even a bigger esport when it's this is the call of duty i think it makes a lot of sense i i totally agree and i think that um because it, there is a split focus where it feels like every game needs to be everything to everyone and i think it comes out of the fact that we you know i think the three of us here all feel some sort of weird responsibility that we need to play everything and you don't and that's something we need to get past but it also comes from the fact that you look at battlefront came out the, the first Star Wars Battlefront came out. It was just multiplayer. It was a relatively shallow multiplayer experience. But one of the huge things that you heard everyone saying was, why didn't I get a single player campaign? Why didn't I get a story? Where's, where's the rest of the game here? And so you go, okay, well, we'll try to make that. And then what they made meant that they split their time between the multiplayer and the single player. And, you know, ultimately, I feel like didn't really hit the nail on the head for either one. Uh, whereas a, a much more focused approach for something like Call of Duty, which 100% should just go online and be completely focused on making that the best possible gameplay experience it could be, I think helps that helps that series. It helps a lot of series, really. And then the ones who want to do just narrative can just do narrative and don't need to worry about trying to like squeeze in a multiplayer or something on the side. I, I hear you on the, you know, we can't play everything, we just have to accept that thing. I, I think you're accurate on that. But it, I do mourn the loss of a cohesive hobby, if that makes any sense. The fracturing of the hobby into these shards that are very self-contained, you know, subgroups, these, these niche of a niche, uh, where I guess, I guess video gaming is becoming less of a niche and it's become mainstream. And so by necessity, things have to break off. But it's still, I mean, I know that is uh, an anachronistic point of view at this point but i it, it makes me a little sad that it, there isn't a cohesion among gamers that we all sort of have these shared experiences the interesting thing there is that you go it's it's because it's such a young medium uh that it's it, at the beginning they made six games and it's like cool i'm just gonna play all the games but now i, I can't do that no one goes no one who's into sports is like i play all the sports like monday i play soccer tuesday i do water polo squashes on wednesdays like it's just no one does that no one's like i read all the books uh and and we're just going like we want to play all the games but we've uh, you know we've reached a point where it just it can't be that and so you, i guess you identify more with the with the genre that you play or something so i i i i miss that too but um but you know i i think we're well past that now yeah i agree i i also miss it just because from nostalgia but it's the difference is the hot the hobby that hobby still exists the problem is that like you know the uh, these niches within the hobby it's not that's not the hobby <laughs> like nick was saying with sports it's not like i love sports it's like yeah you i can watch or appreciate any video game because of my experience with the games that i love but the idea that it's all one thing you know and that there's an ign or a game spot or 
you know, that even the myth that this podcast that we cover all of it, we don't, you know, and we never will. But this is it's born from this idea, this legacy of like (laughs) this legacy of, you know, one up game pro EGM or whatever of like we cover games and, you know, it's just not it can't it can't be the case. It it can't be the case anymore Um, because there's a million different hobbies that are all involve tinkering around on a computer or video game console. Well, let's move on and talk about as much of them as we possibly can. But uh, (laughs) if you have a niche hobby that you'd like to talk about online, what better place to build a website than Squarespace? Squarespace is so phenomenal. I've been using it for nigh on a decade now. Uh, JeffCanada.com is housed on Squarespace. Ah, man, it is uh, it is so easy. It's simple. You start with a template. You build upon that template using drag and drop. What you see is what you get. So, so, so simple. The tools are simple, but they're also very powerful and flexible. And you can build any kind of website you want. You want to build a storefront, just drag and drop in their tools to add uh, cash register services and all, all kinds of front end for payment. It's it's so easy. You, any Anything you need, it's really cool. And you make them beautiful, beautiful, beautiful showcases for your work, beautiful blogs or published content that you might need to make. You make it yourself. You don't have to hire somebody to make a website. So many people throw money at web designers, when you could just use Squarespace and do it yourself, make something really beautiful, really high-end, really clean and and crisp looking. And guess what? We're going to give you a discount. All you got to do is go to squarespace.com, enter promo code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Uh, and uh, you will be able to make it yourself and make something that you think that you dream, you make it, make it with Squarespace. Squarespace.com, promo code Jeff sent me to get 10% off. Nick, you have been playing some really cool stuff. You mentioned a few of them already. Uh, where would you like to start on your playlist? Uh, well, I mean, it's come to this time of the year where, like we said at the top of the show, there's games, the game release schedule is sort of tapering out a bit. So I'm catching up on some stuff and I've been getting uh, really into Fortnite Battle Royale, weirdly enough, uh, because everyone else seems to be playing pub and I'm just terrible at shooters uh, and uh, and pub is just too punishing for me. But I've, I found that I genuinely think Fortnite is actually probably the better game and I feel that that. It's a bit blasphemous, but uh, but I've been I've been really loving Fortnite recently. And only battle royale mode you're playing, right? Yes, yeah. I play I played the I played the. I mean, I don't even want to say core game because I feel like this is the core game now. But I played (laughs) the first version of Fortnite, uh, the the beta beta version of Fortnite uh, when it came out, and and I thought that was interesting. I just there were just too many systems there for me. There was just too much leveling up and recruiting and putting different bits in different things and numbers and all that sort of stuff that I just went, oh, this is too, it, it, it's not, it's not that I can't understand it. I just feel like there's too much going on here. Whereas this is a really stripped back version. Uh, and I think that it adds some really cool things that pub doesn't have the, the building obviously is, is a really bigger uh, feature, but I think that the, the tighter, the smaller map, you get into the action faster. I like the arcade shooting more. And um, uh, I just feel like it also is a game that, that even though I'm not great, 
at shooters, it makes me play more aggressively than pub because pub, I tend to just like hide in a house, lie down and, and, and wait there. <laughs> and here you can't lie down. People can break the wall of the house that you're trying to hide in. So it actually hands the power over to the attacker. So it forces you to play in a more interesting way. So I think that despite the fact that that's not how my instinct is telling me to play, it actually it actually makes me do it and, and I get a bit more fun out of it because of that. Have you guys been playing Fortnite with Battle Royale at all? I have some anecdotal uh, report because <laughs> Christian, you know, I, ha- I have my finger on the pulse of the youth. That's uh, that's how we cover everything, every kind of game here on DLC. Uh, my nephew is just turned 13 and I recently spent a weekend with him and his brother and, and their families uh, in a cabin where he brought his PlayStation four pro that he had nice. just gotten. And, uh, and to get the two, only two games that they cared about playing were destiny two and Fortnite battle Royale. And I thought that was so interesting. Uh, I played a few rounds with him. We switched off. Uh, we played, you know, life or level and it was always life. It was always life. Um, <laughs> and, and I like uh, your I cabin mean, experience though, Jeff, it involves a, uh, PS4 pro and super fast internet yeah that's that's <laughs> called roughing it, right? I, don't, I don't know i don't know where we you're and yeah um i will say there were cows right out the window though okay I mean, good and cool. some deer in the morning that just pranced by as we uh as we fragged some fools uh, <laughs> the cows the cows though were also playing fortnite <laughs> yeah the cows uh they're they're tricky they're tricky uh but i i i really love I never got into PUBG, man. I played it a few times. I just it just didn't click with me. And maybe it is the aesthetic that that Fortnite just kind of welcomes me in with that wonderful cartoony aesthetic. I, I hate do the look like- of PUB. It's it's so boring. People people right. say that Fortnite looks cartoony and generic, but I'm just like, oh, at least it's like going for something. This is just, like PUB is just the most bland looking game. The yeah, only interesting I, thing about pub is people in their underwear with saucepans. Once you put on clothes, it's all over. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I don't. I don't find Fortnite to be generic. I, I actually think it has a lot of personality, and it's it's fun. I mean, jumping out of a flying bus uh, with a uh, mechanical hang glider. I mean, that's rad. That's rad. Um, I don't know. I, I like it. I mean, it's not. It's no cat bus, but it's an, you know, it's okay. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I have not played it nearly as much as it sounds like you have, but I, I certainly in, understand the appeal and I totally pegged it wrong. I thought this was really just going to be the stopgap while people waited for PUBG to come out on consoles. But mm. the fact that it's free to play and the fact that it has already garnered such a big following and the fact that my 13 year old nephew is in love with it, you know, it, I, I understand now that it, it really is carving out its own audience. And I, I, and think, I think that's cool. Yeah. And I think a part of that is it's iterating very quickly. It's adding things uh, in a, in a fast at a faster clip than Pub is. And uh, while I I doubt it will ever catch up to Pub, I think it doesn't have to. I think it's it's made it quite clear that you know it got ragged on a bunch when it came out of being an exact clone of a game that's also an exact clone of a bunch of other things. Uh, right. It 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 is now forging its own identity, and I think I think that's really exciting. So yeah, I I, I dip in and out uh, quite regularly, um, but. But I've also been playing Hidden Agenda. Have you guys been playing this on the PS4? It's one of those PlayLink no, games. Dying to try it. I have not tried it. Have you, Christian? No, I have not. Yeah, I've been heard such good things about it. Yeah. So the the um really broad, quick setup is it's one of those PlayLink games. So you use your phone as uh, as the controller. And if you've ever played uh, any of the card game, board game 
party games like uh, Resistance or Werewolf or, or that sort of thing. It's the same idea where uh, you uh, you're competing against the other people you can play co-op or competitively competitively is more interesting you're competing against the other people you're playing with trying to make them do things in the story um, uh, make choices that you have been given everyone gets given hidden agendas over the course of the game uh, which is like an objective of you know uh, make this character send a letter or something and so you want to convince everyone that during this sort of it's like a telltale game narrative thing, but it looks way better. Uh, there's these crucial decisions and everyone makes a decision and you want to force people to make the decision that you, you've been told you have to make without letting them know that you're doing that. And, and I think it's really interesting and I think the story's cool and it, and it looks great and it plays great. The, the only problem that I have with it is I feel like the mechanic is at odds with the fact that this is also a storytelling game that the the mm. the brilliant thing about something like resistance is there's only one objective and that's to trick your friends or or if you're on the other side to not get tricked by your friends but with hidden agenda it's also telling a, a quite compelling murder mystery story so i've gone to situations where I've had to make a decision and it's like, call the judge or don't call the judge. Uh, let this person do something or don't let them do it. And I've gone, well, I think the more interesting thing to do is to let this person do this or call the judge. But I feel like my friend wants me to pick that and I don't want my friend to win. So I guess I need to pick the thing that to me is the less interesting story decision. Uh, mm-hmm. And and that's, that's, a weird, that's a weird sort of situation to put yourself in where I go, do I... F- Am I here to fight against my friends or am I here to fight against the story? Uh, and so, yeah. Your friends. It's, 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 always your it's, friends. it's always the friends. And so, yeah. <laughs> so when I don't get my way, I just unplug the console. And, <laughs> um, but, Can I uh, answer me this question? Uh, mechanically, because I'm not clear on how these PlayLink games work. If you have friends that come over to play this, does everybody need to download an app on their phones? Yes, yeah, it's a, it's actually really easy. You just the, I just, it's I'm on iOS. Uh, my friends on Android. It definitely works for a Windows phone. If you're the CEO of the Windows phone company and the other one person has the Windows phone, uh, and you just download the um, you just download an app and you all connect to the same Wi-Fi network. And if you don't have a Wi-Fi network, your PS4 can create one that you can like a local one that you can connect to. And then it's uh, and it's basically just using tapping and swiping and that sort of thing so so you didn't find that to be an impediment i i just kind of anticipated the idea like hey everybody let's play this game all right everybody download an app it's like eh. oh no it's 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 literally like 30 seconds worth of download yeah i i actually think i actually think ultimately it's 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 easier than handing someone a controller and go this button does this and this button does this because on you know how to use your phone like you you just innately know the swiping and the touching and that sort of thing so the barrier of entry is actually uh, quite low but i i'm definitely going to continue because i i want to see how the story turns out it's just whether or not i'll win (laughs) is is dependent on how how invested i am in the story i guess right Right. Again, that's Hidden Agenda. It's on PlayStation 4. Uh, what else is on your playlist? Uh, so the the thing, I mean, this this game, guys, this game. Have you, you, you know when you just find a game where you just go, I had no idea what this was. I played it and it just blew the top of my head off. I played a game called Doki Doki Literature Club last night. And it is the most buck wild insane i know we're trying to keep a clean tag on this podcast and i'm containing all the words uh that i just want to spew out so it's it's free to play it's on steam it looks like a uh visual novel dating game made in japan 
Uh-huh. Um, I'm looking at it on Steam. By the way, I just wrote Doki into my uh, my taskbar or my uh, whatever my browser, and it came up with the rest of Doki Doki Literature Club. So, evidently, a lot of people are searching for this. Uh, I mean, dude, it's just so I I love I I found over the last few years I've I've gotten really into uh, weird ass Japanese games. I guess I would call them where. Game, a series like Danganronpa or Zero Time Dilemma, right. um, Persona, these sort of games where, uh, you know, there's a lot of grinding, there's a lot of just constant nauseating repetition of dialogue, and like a huge, enormous cultural barrier of You're entry. selling it real well, man. And, and dude, this has that in spades. The first hour is unbearable. Um, but it's also, <laughs> it's also, it's also made by, uh, I believe, an American developer, which is interesting. And the reason, but the reason I'm drawn to these games is because they they tell stories about relationships and and sex and uh, friendships. They touch on things that most games made in the Western culture don't. And while they're not always doing it in the most sophisticated way, and a lot of the time it's actually quite juvenile, it's still just opening up storytelling to different things. I I mean, how much can I spoil about this game? Do you want people to like skip the next section, or do you want me to just keep it super vague? Because I feel like uh, if you love it so much, keep it vague. Keep no, it vague. I'm, I'm kind of into the idea of spoiling a little something just because, like, I'm never playing this. But uh, Really? You I, just don't take your friend's recommendations for amazing games to play? Is that what you're saying, I mean, Jay? literally, I'm looking at the Steam page, right? Uh, 13,793 reviews, overwhelmingly positive. People love this thing. So uh, okay, so I'll keep I'll keep it vague. And after the show, Jeff, if you want to know, we can talk about it. Um okay. And so the fir- the first hour you boot it up and it's this visual novel dating thing where you're a you're a guy who joins a literature club at school like an after school club and you you go there because your friend invited you and then you meet these three other girls and they're all just cute anime girls and you're like I know exactly where this is going and this is all kind of like makes me feel a bit uncomfortable and blah 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 and then something happens like an hour in where it completely flips on its head the entire genre of game that you're playing and then suddenly you go right this is so not the thing that i thought it was and while the first hour was almost unbearable because it it seemed so trivial that first hour now takes on an entirely new context and was so necessary for this moment to have an impact and then hmm. the remaining 2 hours are some of the most crazy like near automata uh pony island messing with the idea of what a video game is and what you as a participant in playing video games is and uh, what kind of stories we can tell what kind of subject matter gets told in video games it's nuts and it is frigging terrifying and my partner went away for the weekend um with our baby off with her friends. I was alone in the house. I started playing this at 10 o'clock last night. I finished at 1.30. I slept with the lights on and I hugged my dog in bed because I went, I'm so profoundly disturbed by the game that I played. And wow. I think everyone should play it. And I implore you guys, you're just going to hate the first hour of this game, but you are going to be blown away by the remaining two. So if you can give three hours of your life over... Um, instead of giving EA thirty dollars to to play Battlefront, uh, like this is this is the game of the year, guys. It's buck wow. I'm downloading it right now. Don't oh, no, you're play. Like, you're gonna kill the stream, Jeff. You don't have the bandwidth to do that. I'm downloading it. Oh, I do. Oh. I do. Look, everything's it's like three hundred megabytes. Uh, 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 
<laughs> Blame Doki Doki Literature Club. But it is one of those games where you go, uh, even if you feel like you would not like that game, that kind of game based off the look of it, I think that beyond all of it, I think it's doing really interesting things with video games. And if you've played a game like Pony Island, which is this like crazy indie game from last year, if you enjoyed that, if you enjoyed Nier Automata, this is that kind of game. All right, you sold me. You sold me on on a free game. <laughs> awesome, awesome recommendation. Uh, Typically, Christian, you pay you pay with the time of the first hour. That is the payment. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. It's a steep. That's <laughs> a steep cost. Uh, Christian, what is on your on your playlist? So I'm gonna talk about some stuff when you talk about yours. So just know I'm tabling two until then. But what I want to talk about right now is Battle Chef Brigade, which I teased earlier in the yeah. show. I played this at an event a long time ago, and it looks so f- it was it was so cool. I just played a little taste of it, but what a cool mashup of crazy ideas! Yeah, I am playing on Switch, and I was provided a code for the game. Um, it is uh, Iron Chef plus a match three plus anime ninja combat, but like not super refined ninja combat it's uh i'm not super far into the game i've heard the difficulty ramps up where i am it's fairly easy but i also think it's still teaching me things so you start off you're this girl you you leave your house because you want to go to this iron chef tournament basically and and you go and and you have to go and hunt your ingredients so you hunt in like side scroller action game combat thing <laughs> and collecting your items because it's this world where monsters it's all very again too like uh, the way it sounded doki doki this is looks very like an eastern game but it's uh from western developers i'm i should have confirmed that before i said it but i'm pretty sure that's right and uh you 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 know you create you collect your ingredients and you take them back and as you drop them into your pan to cook them it creates like kind of a match three style grid below and you you, you're stirring the dish is how you rotate the pieces in there and you you can then drop more ingredients in um from the top a la tetris but you control it and then you turn them and you're trying to create links and chains and the way these you know they're all they all have their own nuance but that style of game that you've played before but you need to take into account who you're cooking for so much like top uh, iron chef sorry much like iron chef there's an ingredient you need to, that needs to be prominent in your dish like you need to get the jelly monster or whatever it is like jelly monster guts are the key ingredient you need to get that but we also want it to have the flavor of earth so you need to like combine the earth stones in there but you're dropping the jelly squid gut in it and that might not give you the earth stones and then you also need to keep in mind later it starts layering stuff where a judge like each judge has a preference of like foods they like so you need like the key ingredient the type of thing and then like what type of thing that judge likes and then your person you're competing against is also creating a dish and you're going out and hunting and cooking these things and it is so weird (laughs) i mean it's so weird but charming in the way that it just goes for its aesthetic and its look and its gameplay like Again, full disclosure, had I not been provided a code for this game, watching it and watching trailers for it, it doesn't seem like the game that would be for me. But having now played it for the 90 minutes that I've spent with it so far, it's so good. It's so really? it's oh, so good. I, mean, I can confirm. Is, I, I love it. I think it's I think it's phenomenal. And I'm I'm playing on Switch. I don't know what you're playing on, Nick, but I went so I went to see Ladybird the other night and I brought my Switch and I was I was Battle Chef Brigading through the 20. Sorry, Melissa Menunos or whoever whoever is doing the 20 these days. Uh, 
It's that guy in the movie theater with his switch. Yeah. Before the movie starts, you're dang right. I am. It's so good. Nick, what are you, what are you playing on? Uh, I'm playing on the switch as well because the switch has turned out to be the the best thing that has been created this year. And I had a baby this year. Uh, it is just, <laughs> it is such a good console and that game is a perfect fit for it as well. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not crazy about the, um, the, the fighting. Um, uh, it's not bad. It's just pretty simplistic. Uh, but yeah. that whole match three thing is, is great. And it's all about like the risk you take. Cause when you combine three, it turns it into a new, ingredient pretty much and then so you need to actually combine nine things to make three of those new ingredient things which is uh, what you need to get like the the, the extra earthiness or whatever yeah exactly yeah, and so i think it builds really well and and i'm a huge fan of games that that um that smash together different genres a game that came out this year pyre i don't know if you guys played that yeah, one pyre, yeah yeah empire yeah. you know i i feel like i feel like uh the battleship has a yeah, Super Giants one, exactly. And I think Battleship has a bit of the same problem where the story gets in the way of my just constant desire to keep doing this great mechanic. Um, but I love I love the fact that we've gone like match three and an RPG and a cooking game and a, 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 a battle system and all of it works really well. You can tell that this was... That's this why was- I love hand of fate too if you have you played any of the hand of fate games yeah i'm playing hand of fate yeah. 2 right now actually and Love yeah it. it's exactly it's exactly the same reason that i think it's just it's a clever mashup and you can tell you can tell that the, the, the team making it very passionate about about what they're doing I, I loved it and same here like if you loved that japanese iron chef like it's it's very true to that and like it's and also japanese rpg idness and like dialogue that is intentionally off at times and like things are funny and 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 the way it kind of all plays out it's a battle chef brigade i think it's worth checking out and the other game i don't this is it's it's going into all our free to play and and stuff um animal crossing pocket camp have either of you downloaded this uh nope never will yeah (laughs) it's it's only wants 40 hours of your time jeff once you give it that then it gets good I got I got Doki Doki literature to play. <laughs> I I really liked the original Animal Crossing games. I think I've talked about on this show that I actually bought the speaker for the Wii to play Animal Crossing like online with my family. Um and, and this game, it nails the aesthetic. Uh and it has a lot of what I think makes those games so fun. And it's just it's collecting its dress up. It's paper dolls, right? Like it's paper dolls and combined with a clicker where you're just like playing through on your 3ds or whatever and i gotta go do this thing it's giving you enjoyable homework that gives you a dopamine release when you do the thing because it says good job and that's all we want is our dad to tell us that they love us and that's what animal crossing is it's your, <laughs> it's your dad being like i love you and you're like i love you too and then tom also, like, i don't love you that much but it's also your dad saying i love you but i will only come over and visit if you have this couch right yeah <laughs> yeah yeah mm-hmm. and and this is a very scaled down experience of it where you don't have the freedom to kind of roam uh, which i loved so much about the big or the main line animal crossing games you're kind of exploring this whole environment here you like warp to a, is it like three sites i don't remember um there's a stack of sites but three the three initial ones where it's like the the shipping the fishing area yeah yeah, so it, it just kind of bounces you around. And then, so I'm still early in the game where I am constantly progressing and, and like the free-to-play monetization aspect does isn't kind of rearing its head. But I was like, oh, this seems, I wonder how this is going to, how they make money off of this. And so I started reading about it and apparently 
uh, it very quickly slows down (laughs) and it like grinds to the whole your grind. And then it's trying to get you to pay money to do the things that you want to do. And so my struggle with this game and this style of game in general is, and again, going back to being of a certain age or being in this industry, playing games for long enough that it's, I come with this thing of, I'm almost not enjoying it because I know that it doesn't end. Like I'm like, I got this for free. I haven't spent any money, but I know they want me to spend money, but I won't, but I'm going to play it in spite of spending money and hate it because of that. And, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, you showed them right. At the same time, it's like, if I gave them 60 bucks and played it for 20 hours, I do that with other games all the time. Right. And I'm super happy with it, but I think it's because this game doesn't have an air quote end. And like this style of game, this free to play, like it's a lifestyle, play it forever. Like something about that, I'm like, I have this relationship that's like, I refuse to give in. <laughs> and that's my baggage. And so I struggle with this game where it's like, I love this. This is everything I like about Animal, Animal Crossing, but expletive this game. <laughs> I'm never <laughs> going to give you a cent. And it's weird. All right. I'm never giving it a cent either. I, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't. You got to play all the games. What are we going to talk about? If you don't play it, Jeff, we'll have nothing in common to talk about. I downloaded Doki Doki Literature Club. (laughs) What do you want from me? Um, Okay, Christian, should we talk about uh, Star Wars? Please. All right. So I'm playing Star Wars Battlefront 2. I'm not interested in the multiplayer, so I'm not going to be able to help you out that way. If you're, if you're listening for, um, for advice on on that front, I'm not. You gave advice already. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but i was so stoked this year because star wars battlefront 2 was going to have a single player which is what i begged for from the first game and um christian you last week talked or maybe two weeks ago now uh, i think both (laughs) talked about i guess the first three levels and you were kind of down on the game i have not finished it i know you have finished the single player campaign so as i talked about it two weeks ago i talked about what i played via ea access and i enjoyed those first three levels uh, of the single player. And I think last week I said that my experiences with the single player have kind of shifted and, and set the more I play of it, the less I start to like it. Right. But now you have completed the campaign. Is that right? Correct. So what is your overall feeling? Is it back to feeling positive or more negative? M- more negative. I love star Wars. Uh, I don't regret spending the time with the game, but it starts off with this cool, interesting story and this cool, interesting character and a new look in the star Wars universe where, like I said, two weeks ago, you're seeing, you know, you're doing the shield bunker on Endor from a different perspective and like, Oh, what a cool story you're going to tell in this universe. And then it immediately or so quickly kind of takes you out of that. And the single player campaign, while not very, not, not incredibly long is, hamstrung by some really awesome, brilliant levels and then just a a lot of not good stuff. And I feel like as they introduce the heroes um, throughout the campaign, those levels are so boring and they feel like constrained by the character. You can't play in first person for them. They animate weird because they're trying to have them look like they do like the person's moveset. And it feels like they're written by, I don't know, me in high school writing them like uh i will say one character that you see a lot in the campaign spoiler um is lando and god i hate what they did to lando in this game (laughs) like i like lando and he's great in rebels um and in this it's like he's a caricature of a caricature of lando and also i don't want to play as her and it tries to tell this epic 
story of like loss and redemption and finding yourself or whatever. But I, oh man, you should, I think you'll finish it because it's not that long. But the end with like, I think it was supposed to be the emotional payoff. I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am of two minds about it because it is so Star Warsy that it actually overcomes a lot of its shortcomings by pure force of Star Wars, by f- the force, I guess that would be, um, <laughs> so by pure exquisite Star Warsiness. It is so Star Wars. It is so visually amazing. It is so uh, of that universe. Every everything, the wipes. Yes, everything. every sound it effect is perfect. Every movement is perfect. The way stormtroopers are shot with lasers is perfect. The way the u- world, all of the planets look is perfect. The way you fly an X-Wing is perfect. The way the Millennium Falcon flies is looks, it's all perfect. It's like I had one of those moments that you hear about that are cliche at this point, but it literally happened to me where my wife walked in the room while I was playing this game on the big TV. She stopped. She stood there for like 45 seconds straight, just watching it. And she went, this game's amazing. She's like, I thought that was a movie for a while. I was like, I know, I know. That's why I'm still playing it. Um, And it is that alone goes so far in giving me joy <laughs> that I I was a, apologizing for most of its faults for the longest time. But I, I'm coming around to your point of view on this, Christian, because it on the one hand, it really is very cool that we have this quote unquote in canon moment after episode six, completes right after return of the Jedi uh, that feels like this is really what would happen. This is like really kind of an awesome furthering of the star Wars saga. And yeah, I do want to check in on all of our heroes and find out what they're doing now. And it's kind of rad to, to see that. But on the other hand, it's also not up to that caliber. And you're right that this new character that we think is, the most important part of the story quickly gets sidelined and, and uh, de-emphasized in favor of our heroes, which I get, we would want to see our heroes if this really was like a film version of sort of episode 6.5 or whatever, but it all happens really clunky. There's a moment with Han Solo where you have this escort mission with a character that is like legit, the worst hackneyed geek dude who's just like making all these meta comments on the game on, on the on the universe and like uh, the world famous chewbacca whoa you know, it's like oh. stormtroopers hit only land seven sixty percent did you know that star wars episode one was metacritic and i'm just like shut yeah. up <laughs> it's like what are we, are we literally you have like the worst geek dude as a character and you're come on you just made any kind of verisimilitude of the star wars universe feel like it just got thrown right out the and window that level when you find him like the yeah, the talk to four people for no reason like, whatsoever. I, I agree. The Star Warsiness of it is incredible. I love, I love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. The Star Warsiness of it is incredible. But like, try to strip that stuff out of it and just look at the gameplay of what you're doing. It's I agree. It's not so strong. Mediocre. It's not strong. Uh, I think the flying missions are almost universally 
bad. And yet I kind of love them because like it looks amazing. And if I'm flying to Bespin, are you kidding me? Yes, amazing. I, I'm, you know, but like, what am I doing? I'm literally just flying through a pretty thing, but it's the prettiest thing that I've ever seen. And it's the prettiest thing in the universe that I love more than any other. Thing. It's, it's like, it's pulling on my heart in very different ways, but you're right in the sense that it is mediocre at best at doing what it should be doing, which is creating an exciting video game. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. I yeah, hate that it's... game. <laughs> okay. I hate it so much. And I don't even like Star Wars that much. Uh, like, well, I, I, I think Star, I, well, no, I think Star Wars is fine. I'm just not rabid about it. But I think it's insulting to people who like Star Wars. It's the loot boxes of video games. It is triggering this, like, chemical thing in your brain to go, look at, look, this is exactly the thing that I like. This is the sounds I like. This is the colors and the shininess and everything. And then it just, it, it is so hollow. And you're talking about that Han Solo mission. There is nothing Han Solo about Han Solo there. There is, like, they have stripped every character in that game. There is nothing identifiable about him that is, like, roguish. And the mission that he does is an exact duplicate of a mission you did to get uh, TIE Fighters, like, 50 minutes before that, where you just wage the Stormtroopers, do this thing. It's just... And I think that the, the the thing is that I feel like Star Wars is always telling the same story. It's always telling that Skywalker story pretty much. And we're, we're starting to get away from that. And I got all excited that this was this was the beginning of that because I went, oh, this new character is really interesting. And then an hour into the game, there's just this thing that happens that changes that character completely. And you can tell that you're in the hands of people who don't know how to tell a story because to paraphrase Seinfeld, there's a time jump. They yada yada over the best part. Like they literally just <laughs> time jump the entire character development, the entire story, right. and you just end up with like, oh, here's here's the new the new person that she is, and you go, how did how did we get here? The interesting part is how we got to this character. So you're yeah. absolutely right. You're not wrong about any of that, and and it, it is even weirder because it's like, I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but you know, it's it's it. it it falls prey to that cognitive dissonance thing to, uh, you know, ludonarrative dissonance with, you know, like, oh, I'm headshotting all these people that I'm ostensibly trying to protect or was just oh, seconds ago trying to protect. Yeah, it's crazy. There's a mission with a very famous Star Wars character uh, who who you spend – the whole mission is you just – you just destroy stormtroopers the entire time. And then occasionally the most bored sounding dialogue comes out of going, I didn't want it to be like this. And it's like, well, why are you doing it? And then you meet another character who you don't kill. And he's like, why did you kill everyone? And they, and he go, and the, the famous Star Wars character goes, they didn't give me a choice. You asked, you said, don't kill me. And I'm like, you ambushed them. They didn't even know you were there. You struck first mother. This is crazy. Yeah. I said, uh, the, I think two weeks ago when I first talked about this game, and it's weird because because of all the stories in this, I still kind of stand by it. But like, I was having more fun with that campaign than Call of Duty World War II's. But as I've now progressed even farther into World War II's campaign, um, what it does better, and what I think Nick too talked about in Destiny, what's so great about it's finding the game right, like the repeatable mechanic, and what Call of Duty that franchise has done so well is realizing that left trigger, right trigger of a wave of enemies coming at you is only fun for so long. And then we need to do something really cool, like have these awesome blockbuster moments. So you're in the Jeep or you're in the bomber plane or you're in the, you know, the biplane flying over or you're in the, the, the submarine or, you know, like these, these jaw dropping cinematic moments. 
And Call of Duty World War II is still doing that stuff really well. It's a little weird in that game because it's like they also try to have the World War II, this is serious, the Great War, like cake. But then they're also like, but we jumped this Jeep out of a building, dog. <laughs> and you're like, oh. but like they do a good job of, of of blowing up the game with these incredible moments. And when Battlefront 2 tries to do that, it's like, yeah, we realize our gameplay loop is fairly boring and you're just doing a, a wave of enemies on one of our multiplayer maps. But like, it looks pretty, but that gets old pretty quick. But now look, you're this famous character. And you're like, oh, cool, I'm this famous character. And then they're like, but yeah, look, they control like crap. But <laughs> like, like, guys, it's so pretty. It is. It's, it's why so I finished it. It's so pretty. It's, it's why I finished it. It's so pretty. And it looks like Star Wars so much. it's hard it's hard it's hard yep yep um all right uh let's move on but i want to tell you first about machetes i want to tell you about machetes uh they're pretty as well and they don't let me down Uh, my sheets are brooklyn and sheets i love my sheets i truly do i know this sounds like i'm I'm just supposed to tell you this but it's legit i love my sheets every night when i go to sleep i say a little thank you to Brooklyn and because I don't think I've ever had such luxurious, wonderful sheets before. And it's all because a uh, uh, Brooklyn and sponsors the show and I found out about them. And now I'm passing along this information to you. This is literally an upgrade to my sleep, which is uh, so, so nice, especially as a father of a one-year-old I don't, sleep is few and far between. So I like resting on beautiful, luxurious sheets. Uh, this is a, uh, a luxury bedding company, brooklinen.com that cut out the middleman, uh, and is able to give this very high quality experience, uh, without the high quality experience type prices. And it, it becomes really easy to buy the sheets. You buy them online, you show up at your house, they have a cool little, you know, fancy packaging. It's nice. Uh, and people are getting on board with it. They have over 12,000 five-star reviews. People love this stuff. They have all kinds of really cool colors. My wife picked out our sheets and they're uh, really, really slick. We got a, um, a cover, a, what are they, duvet cover that's like a gray and white stripes. Looks really stylish. Luxury bedding underpriced. Plus, they have an exclusive offer just for our listeners. So if you want to upgrade your sleep, upgrade your bedding, you can get $20 off plus free shipping. All you got to do is use promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com. Promo code DLC when you check out. In fact, Brooklinen is so confident that you're going to love their new sheets. They offer a risk-free 60-night satisfaction guarantee. 60 nights you can sleep on the the sheets and then you decide uh, whether or not you want them. And on top of that, a lifetime warranty on all their sheets and comforters. There's no reason not to give these guys a try. Only way to get $20 off and free shipping is you use the promo code DLC at brooklinen.com. Brooklinen, these are the best sheets ever. Nick, I understand that you are playing a VR game that has been on my list to try, and I just haven't gotten around to it yet because there's so much great stuff to play. But I'm very excited to hear about it because I've heard really good things about The Invisible Hours. 
I have. So I'm not I'm not the full VR uh, devotee that, that you guys case. are. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wanted to be polite. This is my first time on the show. I want to come back. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it I, I I dip in when I hear there's cool stuff, and I love 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 murder mystery style things. The Invisible Hours is basically uh, it's set in this old house. And uh, all these famous people from history are there. So we've got uh, Tesla and Edison and we've got uh, famous actors from the time and and, and, um, and and they're all sort of together in this one house. They've been invited there for the weekend by, by Nikola, Tesla, Nikola Tesla. And when you arrive, he is dead uh, in the, on the living room floor and someone there has killed him and it's like uh, Cluedo uh, meets murder on the Orient Express or something and you need to figure out who who did it who done it uh, in VR uh, and the, uh, the 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 big mechanic that it's sort of working with it's kind of like Tacoma where you can follow people and they have conversation they wander around the whole house they have conversations and they've got their movement patterns and their their little story that that happens um and you sort of follow them around and, and listen to one person's story and see what they're doing and, and all the weird things that they do around the house over the course of like 10 minutes. And then you go follow someone else and then you see how all these start to tie together and this this begins to reveal, you know, secret lives that these people have and, and that sort of thing. And it's it, it's pretty it's pretty good. It was um published by a company called Tequila Works who who put out – one of the best games of the year that, that no one is talking about called The Sexy Brutale, which came out about eight months ago, which which is yeah. has this same sort of gameplay mechanic to it. Like, is Christians a fan? Christians a fan of Sexy Brutale? Tequila Works is, I'm a fan of everything they've done, and I haven't played enough of, uh, of uh, blanking on the name, Sexy Brutale, to, uh, but I'm a fan of what they do, and they publish just, you, you can't predict them, I feel like. Totally. I, I really yeah. like that. And so this this game this game has that same mechanic of following around to to figure out how to how to beat the game uh, and and it's really great and it's also it's also cool because it's quite hammy uh, a lot of the time there's there's a great moment where there's an actress uh, and she's being she's being very melodramatic and over the top and, and stuff and Thomas Edison who's a total douche in this in this game uh, he, <laughs> and he in looks real up life. and in real life yeah so uh, he looks up at her and he goes. I'm Thomas Edison. When your name's in lights, those are my lights. <laughs> and like, I'm in VR just like clapping and you see my hands in the game just like clapping together. <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> phenomenal. So uh, yeah, it, I've been really enjoying it. I haven't finished it yet, but um, but I love I love those sort of like story. It, it's just story. There's barely any mechanics other than just wandering around figuring out this story. I love it. I, I've definitely been wanting to play this one. So I, I will I will give it a shot. Uh, it's called that's- the in- Oh, go Sorry. ahead. Yeah. Called the ahead. Invisible Hours. And were you playing it on Oculus or Vive? Uh, PSVR. PSVR. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, I think that like Virginia, what remains to be the thing, like this walking sim is a genre. You know, we talked about it with, um, oh gosh, what was the, the space one that we both played, Jeff? Um, Tacoma. He just took home. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we, you should you pay know, attention when the guest talks too. I was paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that genre works so well in vr and i feel like it hasn't been exploited as much as the shooter the shooting range and i feel like more of that exploring being there and less of that here's a here's a game we took a regular game and now it's in vr by the way here are move controllers because that never works right jeff well i think that oh you're setting me up uh for the next thing (laughs) uh which i will get to but i think that what i've said over and over about vr is that 
a different types of games work in VR that that wouldn't work otherwise. And I actually think I would have enjoyed Tacoma a lot more if it had been in VR. But Agreed. I also Agreed. feel a slower pace, a slower pace works in VR that wouldn't necessarily work outside of VR. And there is this temptation, as you referenced, Christian, uh, to give people these exciting shooting experiences and, or games that have already worked outside of VR and say, Oh, in in VR, it's even cooler because you're inside it, which is not untrue, but also I think doesn't speak to the strengths of VR, which is do something you can't do outside of it. And, and I think that it's really cool that games like the invisible hours exist uh, to showcase the kinds of different experiences that actually work because the medium it's being expressed in uh, it allows for it. I mean, that, that slower pace, just kind of like standing in VR and looking and watching people and watching things. Whereas playing Tacoma, it felt a little dry in VR. It doesn't because it's all around you and you feel like you're there. I think that, I think it sounds, it sounds creepy, but I think one of the great advantages of VR in particularly in games like this is you really feel like a voyeur that you feel genuinely it's you're witnessing really intimate moments. And even if it's just a conversation between two people, because you can stand anywhere, you can get up in their faces. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very, it feels really intimate. Like it really feels like you're the, the only downside to this game is that uh, every, every line of dialogue, uh, the next line, you can pretty much hear the gears of the game loading up the next line. So there's just this beat between everything that everyone says, where it's like the ge- game's going, okay, what's the next thing that they say? Okay. Here's the next line <laughs> recording. It's like they just didn't remove the half second lead up time in every audio clip. But other than that, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Gaucho Cam in the chat asks if I have tried watching 3D movies on PSVR yet. And I have. It's awesome. I threw in my, I know you're going to make fun of me that I own this, but I own uh, The Hobbit, a a 3D Blu-ray. And I threw it in uh, my PS4 Pro on PSVR. And it's amazing. It's really cool. It, It really is very watchable and awesome. So is that is there a forty eight frames thing in VR? How does no, that translate? No, 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 <laughs> no, uh, no tech to to do that. But right. uh, yeah, actually, that's a blessing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I have been playing Skyrim VR now. Regular listeners of the show will probably note that every time that I played Skyrim VR up to its release uh, at E3's gone by at Bethesda events, uh, numerous events. Uh, I came away pretty unimpressed with it. And as much as I'm a fan of VR, I was definitely really disappointed with Skyrim VR, mainly because uh, I felt like the fact that it was trapped on PlayStation VR meant that it was, we were kind of looking at the lowest common denominator version, the worst control scheme and the least amount of hardware to power impressive visuals. And now that the game is out, uh, I am playing the full version. And I have to say that in one sense, it is much, much improved. In fact, it's downright good. Not the visuals. (laughs) The visuals still remain really hard to look at. And especially if you're looking at, you know, you're seeing uh, Skyrim just released on uh, switch, for example, looks really, really nice. It looks comparable to their big, remaster re-release that they put out on xbox and playstation recently where this old game has a new coat of paint and while it still looks like an old game it actually is you know pretty and has neat lighting effects and all kinds of stuff not the case in vr on playstation for even on my pro the game looks very dated especially 
as I was playing back and back, back and forth with uh, Star Wars Battlefront 2, right? I mean, it's like <laughs> night and day. But even comparing it to other PlayStation VR games like Batman. Now, of course, Batman is handling things in a very different way. You're, you're Skyrim, you're standing in the this giant open world where you can go anywhere and do anything. And, you know, it, we're talking scale on a completely different, uh, you know, frame of reference. It's It's apples and oranges to a certain extent, but... I can still play Batman on my PlayStation VR and look at this beautifully rendered world and go, oh, it's gorgeous. It feels realistic It's or or stylized and amazing. Skyrim looks like butt. It looks like <laughs> a, a, a butt. Someone's butt. Um, but I will say that if you are the kind of person, and Christian, you're laughing, but, you know, you play – Retro games, you're into it. You dig retro games. Like that's one of the things you like very much. I've seen you post on your Instagram all these, you know, PlayStation 1 games. Oh, that Alpha you, you 3. Know. I found my PlayStation copy of Alpha 3. Oh, is, so I mean, good. I played the living crap out of Alpha 3, but that's a different conversation. So and that's a pixel game, right? That's a little bit different. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I got distracted by. Yeah. Right. But if you can get past how butt Skyrim VR looks, and big, make no mistake, it looks like a butt. It's amazing what they have managed to do with converting this game into VR. And so much of what my concern was heading into it was, I'm going to have to play this with a DualShock because the motion controls, the move controllers are just completely inadequate to play this game. And every event that I went to, every time I played it, 2E3s, Bethesda events, they kept handing me these these move controllers and have me teleport around the world and everything was janky and weird and gross. And I was like, this is bad. Every time I went down one of those spiral staircases, I'm like, teleport, teleport, weird, awkward. Oh, this sucks. <laughs> Every It was so bad. And the work they must have put in between the last E3 and now to make those move controls not only work, but feel sublime. It does take, I don't know, 10 minutes of figuring it all out and getting yourself uh, acquainted because one of the biggest complaints I have about the move controllers is literally they're both identical and they both have X triangle square and circle on them. Right. So the game has to be like, well, left triangle is this and right triangle is that. And you can't, you have, you can't do it by feel. You have to teach yourself where triangle and X are on the controllers because you're in VR and you can't look down. So it does take a, a few minutes to wrap your brain around it. But once you do, it is awesome. First of all, you can turn off teleportation. You can move smoothly. I, first thing I did was turn off teleportation and turn off all of the field of view stuff that they try to do to, to minimize nausea where they like, you know, put black on the edges of your view when you're moving fast. I didn't find the game caused nausea at all when I turned all those things off and it makes the game exactly how I wanted it to work, which with is controller still right. So you with movement controllers. Now the move controllers don't have analog sticks. They don't have D pads. So how do you move? Well, they figured out a really clever way. One controller, when you push the main button, you move wherever you're aiming that controller. So if you're aiming it behind you, you start moving backwards. If you aim it to the right, you move to the right. You are just pointing where you want to go and and moving. And it works really, really well because you can sort of mix that up with uh, attacks and, and defense and stuff. 
Now, I will say, PlayStation, or excuse me, uh, the the VR version of Skyrim wants you, I think, to be a mage. <laughs> it, it certainly supports all the freedoms that you have in Skyrim to be a thief or a fighter or whatever. And almost always in Bethesda games, I end up playing some weird hybrid multi-class battle mage thing where I'm you know, using weapons but also casting spells. I'm doing this playthrough of Skyrim such as it is as a pure mage, pure caster, which is kind of cool and liberating and makes me play a Bethesda game in a way I've never done before. But it's also because the spell casting with the move controllers works so well and so much better than anything else in the game. Even bow and arrow, which is something that you get in a lot of VR games, isn't as strong in Skyrim VR as in some pure bow and arrow VR games. And it isn't as strong as the casting. The casting is super fun. It feels awesome having a spell in each hand. It all makes sense. You're not just flailing around with your sword, with your move controller, even though you could do that. And that works too. (laughs) It just feels like, man, being a mage in this world is the way to go. And so I'm moving around with the controller. I'm using buttons on the other controller to turn in 90 degree increments. So I can stay with my feet planted on the ground, staring at one direction, i.e. the PlayStation camera, and just move however I want to move and rotate when I need to rotate by pushing buttons instead of actually physically rotating in my room. And it works really, really well. And everything else about the game, the menu system where you can just move the the movement controller in the direction of the arrows of those old Skyrim menus, all works great. Uh, they've managed to map everything you would need to map really, really well. Conversations are awesome because you are like looking at a person who's the same size as you and they're talking at you and you're just picking your responses. Going into and out of buildings is awesome. Feeling that sense of scale about everything. If it just didn't look like a butt, it looks like a butt. But other than that, so it's a remarkable it- thing. When does it come to Vive? Like all I'm hearing you say is this is going to be great when it comes to Vive. Well, clearly they've got some exclusivity on this. And I hope that when it comes to Vive, we'll see sliders in the options menu that allow you to get it closer to what it looks like on the remastered editions, you know? Because it's coming to Vive, right? Like it's, it, They haven't said, but I, it's got to be. It's got to huh. be. Huh. Anyway, I'm excited to see, you know, Fallout comes out mid-December on Vive and Oculus. Well, I think you can play it on Oculus through Steam VR. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more curious to play that. I, I'm much more interested in playing through Skyrim again because it's been longer since I played that game. Yeah. And I think I'm going to keep playing it. It's, it, it, feel, it just feels like playing a retro game, you know, playing a, a game that is old and it just feels old. But the world is still amazing. And the first time you... You guys remember the map feature in Skyrim where you like it like pulls you out and you see this topographical map of the entire world. Do that in VR where it's all around you and you feel like you're this floating god above the. It's awesome. So <laughs> I, I think I know your answer, but more transformative version of Skyrim, the version that looks pretty and you can take literally anywhere, or the version that looks like butt but puts you in the world. I think it's a more, if the word you're using is transformative, I think certainly the VR version is more immersive, more amazing. Like how you 
loot things, how you – they've managed to make it all work. And it's mm-hmm. completely retrofitted for VR. It, it, it's amazing how much work they've put in because they didn't just slop this together. It really was well thought out. It's awesome. And it does feel like you're in this huge, expansive world. Um, Purple Hydra in chat asked how long the, the loading times are. I'm playing on PlayStation 4 Pro. So I'm imagining they're a little quicker there than on a regular PlayStation 4, but they're they're quite fast. One of the bummers, though, is you remember those cool loading screens that they have in Bethesda games where you see like a, a 3D object and you can rotate it while you're waiting. Um, you know, it's an object from the world or a creature or something. That is a 2D flat image. It's like the old loading screen. They didn't 3Dify it in VR. It's not like you're looking at this cool object that's right in front of your face. You're looking at it as if you're watching a movie screen that has the loading screen on it, which is a bit of a bummer. Uh, I imagine they just did that to make the loading go quicker. Um, but it's a bit of a bummer because I was excited about just rotating those objects in real time. You know, <laughs> but you can do that just in the game now, though, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Unfortunately, those objects also look like butt. <laughs> they do. Everything Everything looks like butt. And that's uh, that's unfortunate. Well, wait, like Hulk's butt? Or like, you know, we haven't dove into like whose butt we're talking about. Uh, yeah, that's true. There are good butts and bad butts. This is more of the disappointing butt. You've seen the faces <laughs> of Skyrim characters. Imagine their butts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think there's a mod that you can actually have all their faces be butts, but you don't want to. <laughs> that's like a butt on a butt. And nobody needs that. All right. Uh, let's uh, move on now. Uh, I do want to thank our uh, our final sponsor, which is Eero. Uh, I want to tell you a story. I went to uh, my sister's house. She lives up in Humboldt County uh, in the middle of uh, nowhere, really. <laughs> she lives on, like, on a farm. And um, they were. she was having a difficulty uh, with her Wi-Fi in her house. And I brought her an Eero because I knew that Eero is the easiest, the best way to cover your house, to blanket your house in awesome Wi-Fi. It's not a single router. It, this is a multi-pronged approach where you have a, a really a blanket of coverage across your house and, a, and an app that figures it all out for you, that helps you install it. It's so simple. My sister is uh, not as techy a person as I. And so she was frustrated. She was calling her internet service provider and asking why the router doesn't work and all this stuff. And she was getting the runaround. She's like, brother, you're coming here. Help me. As, as, as my tech friend, and I said, I'm bringing an Eero. <laughs> That's what I'm doing because it's so simple and it's a distributed system. That means you can have nodes everywhere in your house, anywhere that you might have a weak Wi-Fi sim- signal. You just plug in one of the Eero beacons into the, into the wall outlet. That's all you need to do. And it expands the system. It expands this distributed network across your entire home or wherever you live. It's so easy. It's all modular. You can, you can install, uh, it's basically an enterprise grade Wi-Fi system in your home and you do it in like minutes. I didn't want to spend my whole day setting up her system and I knew I was going to do it for her. That's why I brought an Eero. It made it simple. The app does all the work. It tells you what to do. It, it, you literally just plug it into the wall and it, it's awesome. Plus they have incredible customer support. So her ISP wouldn't have to, <laughs> she wouldn't have to deal with those monsters on the other end of their customer support line. They have really great customer support with Eero. 
I am so happy that I did it. And I will say that with our promo code, which is DLC, you can get, you go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And at checkout, you select overnight shipping and then insert the promo code and you get free overnight shipping. That's pretty great. That's to the US or Canada. It's it's pretty amazing. And uh, I got to say, my sister was happy. <laughs> I was happy because I didn't have to spend uh, a million years, uh, you know, dealing with it. And it's it, this is the second generation product, by the way. They just added a third five gigahertz radio into their second generation Eros. So now it's a tri-band and twice as fast as its predecessor. So it's not like I was just sloughing off some low-level Wi-Fi system to her. They have increased speed and range with powerful tri-band radios. It, it's, it's easy. It sits on a flat surface, plugs into a power adapter. So easy. The, that's the Eero thing. And the Eero beacons just plug right into the wall outlet. Man, it's great. Check it out. Eero.com. E-E-R-O.com. Promo code DLC that you put in after you select overnight shipping. And you get free overnight shipping. Pretty darn cool. All right, guys. Let's finish up the show now. Uh, we do have a parting gift coming up. But Nick Richardson, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been awesome. Well, tell the people where they can find your show and keep up with you on the internet. Uh, so you you can't watch my actual show because it's on TV in Australia. Unless you live in Australia, in which case you should totally watch my show. Uh, it's on 7.30 p.m. on 7 Mate. Uh, it's called Screenplay. But if you uh, do not have access to Australian television, then you can uh, check out our YouteU page, which is youtube.com forward slash screenplay au, and that's the same for our Facebook page, but just sub in Facebook instead of YouTube. Uh, and my own personal Twitter is Nickboy N I C H B O Y. Awesome, Christian. What do you got going on this week? It's not this week, but I've mentioned it. But we get closer and closer to it. People talk ask about out of town LA shows. Um, I will be in Salt Lake City, fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth, seventeenth. I think that's Thursday through Sunday um, at Wise Guys with Justin Willman. Those will be great shows. So if you are in the area, come out. And if you come to a show, say hi afterwards. Sometimes it takes me a little while to get out from like the green room out front or whatever but i'd love to say hi and if you don't live in salt lake tell your friends that do they should be awesome justin's great i'm very excited to be working with him and then this if you see the video version of it or if you've seen any of my streams i have a, a mustache going and it was for it's it is for movember and i have a link on my website which is christianspicer.com if you go there and donate to saint jude children's hospital they help kids battle cancer um that's a tax deductible donation that you should feel good about doing anyway <laughs> at the end of the year uh, it's a great charity to give to um but if you donate through the link i have on my site i will match your donation and donate to one american appeal which is hurricane relief and also to the movember foundation which is for men's health issues prostate cancer and stuff like that so if you're looking to make a holiday deduction uh, this is a way that you can or holiday charitable gift you can turn one dollar into three and i only had to have a mustache for a month to <laughs> to make it happen and i think i mentioned earlier on the show this week's at least 20 more minutes will be about PUBG early access games and game of the year i've tweeted about it talked about it but i finally just sat down and talked for like 30 minutes about where i am on that right now and you can find it it goes live tuesday you can find it at patreon.com slash christian spicer jeff what about you well, I have several other shows for you to check out. Uh, why not listen to Newest, Latest, Best? That is my daily video game show. 
quick hits, just 10 minutes a day, keeps you up to date with all the goings on, uh, stuff that we don't get a chance to get to here. Um, awesome listener call-ins. It's a great community that's been built there. And I'm so grateful to be doing that show. Newest, latest, best. It's available as a podcast, wherever you get podcasts. It's also available on Anchor, anchor.fm slash NLB. Uh, I do the slash filmcast. We talk about movies and TV shows over at slash filmcast.com. We're going to be talking about Coco this week. And I do We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show. Uh, you can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. All right, guys, let's wrap the show up now with our parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion. Nick, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? I do. I mean, it'll probably get you through a couple of weeks. Um, it's the HBO, I believe, series The Leftovers. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a show that uh, here in Australia, I feel like no one knows about or talks about. So maybe everyone in America is like, yeah, no, we we love that. But uh, I'm talking to my mates here. And uh, and uh, I want to let them know about about the leftovers. It is just such a phenomenal TV show, and uh, my my partner and I loved it so much that the final episode aired, and and we refused to watch it <laughs> for months, <laughs> and we just went, we don't want that to end, and so we just didn't watch it, and we finally watched it a couple of weeks ago, and it just it blew us away. I think it's it is up there with the Shield as being one of the greatest last episodes of TV of all time, and uh, I think it's a show that. I think it's a show that makes the world a better place because it is it is about what we do when terrible things happen and how coming together makes that better. And it is, yeah, I think it's a gorgeous show. So please check it out if you haven't. That's The Leftovers on HBO. Christian, you got a parting gift? Also something watchable, um, the film Lady Bird. It's Greta Gerwig's new film. I think it just went wide this past weekend. It was in limited release before, and I believe it's kind of everywhere. You, maybe you might need to look at your art house uh, theater to find it. But it's a coming-of-age story set in Sacramento. Not that that necessarily has anything to do with it per se, but it's kind of Greta's not autobiographical auto biographical story but like incorporates so much of her life and you can tell the care put into this and it is funny and heartwarming and tear jerking and just so perfectly acted just an absolute incredible incredible film i can't recommend it enough it's called lady bird and and you really should seek it out see it um I would say see it with your parents, but it might be. I think you'd both be crying, and then you'd both apologize to each other afterward. <laughs> but it's phenomenal for crying. <laughs> uh, we have a listener that sent in a parting gift, uh, which you can do if you want to send your parting gift into dlcfeedback at gmail dot com or any comment question you might have about the show uh, for us. Dlcfeedback at gmail dot com is where you do it. This one comes from John Peterson. And it might be my favorite that we've ever gotten, Christian. Uh, He says, this is not an attempt to pander to the hosts, but I want to reiterate to the Jeff and Christian fans that you all need to watch the Marriage Is series of videos on YouTube. Not Not only are they quick and hilarious, but you also get to see Jeff's acting chops. There are a handful of these hilarious videos and they didn't have near the views they deserve. Do yourself a favor and check them out. Marriage Is is a series that uh, Christian wrote and produced. 
Uh, and Christian, uh, at least one fan, John Peterson. Thanks, John. That is kind. Yeah, they're all on my YouTube, which is just Christian Spicer 713 And there's a, a playlist dedicated to them. So you don't have to scroll through the hundreds of, you know, Let's Plays or whatever else is there. Uh, yeah, and you and it's Chris Quintos, my co-host from the Department of Parenting, is just, I think you guys are outstanding. They're, you know, slice of life things. I, I'm really proud of them. I am proud of them as well. And I'm really glad that John, I mean, he says he wasn't pandering, but you know, it worked, whatever. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in all of the codes for he's all He's now the my favorite listener of our show. <laughs> so there you go. Um, <laughs> thank you for that. And, and uh, you know, we're a little after Thanksgiving here in America, uh, but we didn't really make a big deal out, out of it before Thanksgiving because it was like so early in the week and I wasn't even thinking about Thanksgiving. But now I've lived through Thanksgiving. And I just thought my parting gift would be um, gratitude, which is, I think, underrated in our society. And my wife and I have started a new practice that may be of use to those of you listening. Uh, With our one-year-old, every night before bed, we do our gratefuls. And we uh, say out loud to him, with him, around him, uh, what we're grateful for that day. And and, uh, I find that to be very healing and very positive. And I, I think uh, if there was more gratitude in the world day to day and not just reserved for Thanksgiving or, or, what, or holidays or whatever, uh, I think the world would be a, a much better place. And so um, I'm doing my part to try to be more grateful for the things that I have, for the people in my life, and for those of you that make my life possible. So those of you listening, I'm, I'm certainly grateful for you as well. Uh, so you will be in my gratitudes tonight. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks to Nick Richardson and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to all the folks in our chat rooms. We have two now, you know. Uh, in fact, we have two ways to listen to the show live, uh, which is now going to be Sunday evenings around 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, at least for the foreseeable future. Uh, and that is uh, on Caffeine at caffeine.tv slash Jeff Canada and on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Christian Spicer. So you can hang out in either one of those places Sunday evenings. Hope you join us. It does make the show better in real time. But I also want to thank all of you who download the show as well. You are the reason we do it. And it makes us very, very happy that you choose to spend your time with us. We will be back next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.